What people don't know or don't see is that there is an anatomy of meaning and that when we tap into that anatomy, when we understand what it actually is, we can transform anything. We can transform ourselves, our relationships, our community, even nations. And to get to that anatomy, we have to understand that there is a personal emotional source code so it's subjective to us and then there's a collective one that is indoctrinated into us for communities and nations etc tapping into those things not only transforms us but transforms our messaging makes us really clear in how we come across good morning welcome to grounded content i'm your host marion abrams this is a show where i talk to you professional creatives marketers content creators content strategists whether by choice or intention. Whether you're building a career as a content strategist, as a content creator, or you're building a business of your own, and you have to learn these skills to sell your product or your service. On this show, we talk about content strategy, content creation, marketing, and messaging, and all the things that go into that. I've been thinking a lot about how to introduce today's guest, Dove Barron. This is a great conversation where we talk about not just what motivates people, but how to speak that language and unlock that code that drives us as humans. Whether you're selling a political movement or a vegetable, the principles apply. Dove Barron is a leadership speaker. He has at least two podcasts, Leadership and Loyalty and Curiosity Bites. I hope you're enjoying this variety as much as I am. From the two-part series on making creative breakthroughs in your career to the tactical steps to selling your product, with John Jantz from Duct Tape Marketing, and today, some really interesting philosophical stuff about the how and why we sell what we sell. Before we get into this interview, I want to remind you that if you want to support this show, you can buy the Friend mugs, t-shirts, and hats by going to madmotion.com slash groundedpodcast, or just go to madmotion.com and click on the Grounded Content Podcast tab. If you want to work with me, Go to the same place, madmotion.com, but then click on Grow Your Podcast. And you can find out more about coaching and consulting, working with me directly, or put your name on the waiting list for the next course that comes out. So welcome to Grounded Content. My guest today is Dove Barron. And just before we started rolling, I asked you if there were any things you wanted to make sure we discuss. And what did you tell me the rule is for you when you're on podcasts? Uh, the rule is when I'm on a podcast, you can ask me absolutely anything you want, whether it's politically correct or incorrect. I don't guarantee you'll like the answers, <laughs> but you can ask me anything. It's complete transparency. And so there's a bunch of things I want to talk about. I want to get into your podcast a little bit, but first thing, I'm going to go right into talking about the human source code and how it can be hacked. And I think this is so relevant to the kinds of things we talk about on Grounded Content. So let's start with that. Yeah. So what people don't know or don't see is that there is an anatomy of meaning. And that when we tap into that anatomy, when we understand what it actually is, we can transform anything. We can transform ourselves, our relationships, our community, even nations. And... To get to that anatomy, we have to understand that there is a personal emotional source code. So it's subjective to us, and then there's a collective one that is indoctrinated into us for communities and nations, etc. Tapping into those things not only transforms us, but transforms our messaging, makes us really clear in how we come across. 
Okay, so there's a lot there and uh, a lot of very unfamiliar language, right? So let's start at the basics. What do you mean by a source code? Is this like a psychological kind of predisposition? It is psychological. Let's just talk about it on a very personal level. So if I say the word money to you, you will have an association to that word that is conscious, but you will also have an unconscious one. So your conscious one might be, oh, money means abundance and it means I get freedom. But when I get to your source code and I ask you about it at a source code level, what I might get down to is source of all evil. What I might get down to is, oh, it makes people bad. So your source code is an emotional and subconscious, whereas your rational can be vastly different and oftentimes is diametrically opposed. Would you say that advertisers sometimes understand how to manipulate our source code better than we understand it ourselves? So the thing about it is the psychology of marketing, the really good people who understand the, quote, biology, B-U-Y-ology of it, understanding the neuroscience of it, understand that if you use certain words, you get certain responses from people. So we just talked about personal, but now let's talk about it in a much bigger level, national. So what is the emotional source code of America, of the U.S.? Now, to be clear, there is an internal and an external. What that means is their source code about America and the rest of the world's source code about America, which can be vastly different. The American source code for America is freedom. That's what America means to Americans. The reason people emigrate to America was because they want freedom, It's fighting for freedom. The people who marched on January 6th and stormed the Capitol, if you'd have asked each of those why you here, they would have said it was patriotic. Every one of them. And then if you said, well, okay, tell me why it was patriotic, because they are threatening our freedom. So when you understand source code at a marketing level, when you understand source code at a level of persuasion and influence, tapping into those words is extraordinarily powerful And people find themselves in lockstep with it without even knowing why. Jordan Klepper has been doing these great interviews at the Trump rallies where, you know, he's definitely from the left, but he's having these conversations and he feeds back the nonsense these people are saying to him. And they're like, yep, of course, that's fine. And it's easy for us to judge them as stupid or crazy, but that's not the truth. What's happening is they're being fed a source code that bypasses the rationale and it's powerful. Here's the fine line that I like to walk on this podcast is on the one hand, we're interested in sort of the ethical use of this to sell the things that we believe in or that are important to us, but also how to protect ourselves from the manipulation from it. So how would one put this kind of idea into use? Have you used it, for example, to build your business? Absolutely, but always with transparency. So I might say, if I'm working with a political leader, you know, tell me what the message is. Tell me what it's about. Tell me what you want to deliver. And they'll tell me. And I'll say, okay, so how does that align with your ethics? And before I'll even help them, I want to know this stuff because I've got to pay attention to where are they coming from. And that's a very important thing. So that guideline, I have a very strict protocol for who I will work with for that reason, because this is so powerful that it can be definitely used not so good. And I think that we all have a responsibility 
as people of influence in whatever leadership role you're in. I like to say if you're a dad or a mom or an aunt or an uncle, you're a leader. You're leading somebody. Somebody's looking up at you. That's all it means. You're having influence. So there's a responsibility there. So what are you going to do to step into that responsibility in order to genuinely make things better, not subjectively based on you think it's going to be good? Because I grew up in a ghetto and I saw kids getting beaten by their parents for their own good. You know, that was the messaging. Well, I'm not going to support you in doing for your own good. So you find this person or this product that is going to make the world a better place, that is ethical and responsible. How do you then use this concept of source code to help convince, I don't want to say manipulate, but persuade the public? First of all, let's break down a little bit of the anatomy of of meaning first. So we've got emotional source code. Emotional source code, as I talked about, can be national, et cetera, community-driven. And there's also subjective, which is very personal. Those are not opposed. They're just on other sides of the same thing. As I said, money can mean two things, but there's a national understanding of it. So when we start looking at it at a personal level, we want to understand what drives you. What is it that's important to you? You know, what is the meaning of what it is? So if I want to understand that in you, I've got to understand what do you want to do? Because you, me, we, we have a logical, rational reason for doing something. And as rational as it is, we go, well, why do I sabotage myself? That's because your source code is in the way. So once you understand how to tap into that, that's when everything transforms. So you look at it and you go, okay, what do I want? And then what is the meaning of that? So what is the meaning of that for me? So breaking down the source code is first and foremost, high emotional impact. Your source code comes from high emotional impact. High emotional impact, for example, in my case, I fell off a mountain in 1990, got smashed to pieces while free climbing, you know, doing sports for the, for the insane. Okay, I did that. That's fine. Is that a high emotional impact event? Of course it is. But you might go, well, I've never had one of those. But think about torture, and not, not that's a great subject, but think about torture. If somebody's torturing you, that's pretty obvious. But if they're torturing you by a drip of water on your forehead every 20 seconds for 10 years, that's torture too. But your head's not caving open. So there's this drip, drip, drip torture, and there's also the dramatic. Each of those are creating a high emotional impact that give you a sense of something about that thing. That's where the high emotional impact comes from. That gives you your source code. And your source code, and this is interesting, gives you what's called your emotional logic. Emotional logic, very simple. Got nothing to do with rational logic. It's when you do something that you know is wrong, but you just go, but it's right for me. It's just right for me. And oftentimes it is. It's genuinely right for you. You know Because of your source code, you're actually, and this is where it's key, is it's set up to protect you. Because remember, it came from high emotional impact. You were hurt, you were damaged in some way, and now your psyche is set up to say, well, how can I avoid that pain? Here's the emotional logic. Oh, well, I want a partner who's going to be loving and kind and a wonderful relationship. But when I fell in love when I was a child with my mother, who beat the crap out of me every single day, that was dangerous. So I'm not going to let myself fully be in the relationship. I'm going to always have one foot out because my source code says I got to protect myself. So this is obviously really powerful in terms of 
sort of personal development or personal empowerment. What about the other angle, the sort of unlock of using it to persuade others? This kind of idea of source code has been used to persuade large groups of the population to feel or do something. Is there an ethical way to do that? So say, for example, you found a politician that you really supported, that you wanted them to win. Would you deploy this technique to help them in their marketing and their messaging? Well, <laughs> that's a big question. I'll tell you why it's a big question, because finding one that I fully go along with. That's where right. we got so, so maybe it wasn't a politician. <laughs> maybe it's a uh, vegetable that the world needs to eat more of. Let's do it that way. Let's say broccoli is the life-changing vegetable, right? And people think that they don't like the taste of it. Yeah, you can use it for absolutely anything, of course. You're absolutely right. But taking something that is fairly inanimate in the sense of a vegetable and go, okay, well, okay, it doesn't have a moral code. So if we go, okay, broccoli. So the first thing I want to do is find out what is the source code of broccoli in the world or in the world I'm selling to, let's say it's North America. So what is the source code of broccoli? And I might get down to disgusting. Let's say I get down to disgusting, right? <laughs> I actually love broccoli, but some people do. As do right. I, right. So, yeah. you know, but, so, but let's say generally it's disgusting. That's the source code. I can't avoid the source code. That's what it is. I need to know that. Okay. So if I was guiding that, as I do with a lot of the marketing stuff I'm doing around it, is I go, how is disgusting delicious? Now I start taking that out. I start finding out what that is. So what is the most disgusting thing you ever ate that ended up being delicious? What? So I now want to flip the brain. So they go, what do you mean? Have you ever eaten anything that you are going to thought was going to be disgusting that was delicious? Now I find out what that source code is. Now I apply that to broccoli and I don't avoid it. So one of the best examples of it was Buckley's. Buckley's cough mixture, their ads were fantastic. Because like somebody be coughing and white screen background, somebody coughing, somebody come up and give them this Buckley's and they go, what is this? And they go, it's Buckley's. It tastes terrible, but it works. And that was it, right? And the person would take it and go, and you'd see their face be like, because it's horrible stuff, absolutely horrible stuff, but it works. So suddenly, tastes horrible was associated with works. That's a great example of using the source code, not changing it, not pretending, no, it, it really tastes good. Let's change the flavor of it. Add cherries to it. No, no, no. This doesn't have all that crap in it that's going to make it taste good. It doesn't taste good. It tastes terrible, but it really works. And everybody I knew bought Buckley's when they had a cough. So classic persuasion has been about let me change your mind, whereas healthy source code persuasion is about let me get in touch with your truth and show you from there. And I love this because if I have a theory behind this whole podcast, it is that, that grounded is effective. Yes. I, I didn't know that's where we were going, but really what you're saying is actually sort of finding the essential truth of the thing that you're trying to sell or, or persuade around, that's the most effective way to do it. Because the red flags go up, right, when you try to pretend it's something else. Well, I also think there's a lot of talk in the world these days about how the consumer is more intelligent now. You can't pull the wall over their eyes. And I think the consumer is more intelligent and far dumber. I think we're both. And what I mean by that is we're so freaking bombarded that after a while we just zone out and it makes us dumb. 
And on the other end of it, when we do get discerning, we're like, we're now we're hypervigilant with the other way. So the only answer is to tell the truth, but not just to tell a truth I think you will agree with, but to actually find out what is the truth. So going back to national ones, you know, I said the American one is freedom. What do you think the British one is? Of themselves? Of themselves, yeah, internal. That's a great question. I don't know. Superior. Oh, I believe that. I can see that. I think there's a little bit of that in America, but, too. But, but no, yeah. but you see, so American internal is freedom. External, arrogance. They think they're superior to the rest of the world. Right. 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 But internal, it's freedom. External, it's arrogance. For Britain, it's superior. And what's the external for Britain? The external for Britain is not unsimilar to arrogant, but it's better than, but it's not for the point of superior. It's the you think you're better than. It's class. And so it's fascinating to see how these work. So if I want the British to do something, so for instance, we'll go back to what you and I talked about in our previous conversations. If I want the British to get vaccinated, let's use that one because that's a very hot subject these days. I want the British to get vaccinated and I'm talking to the British, like I'm Boris and I come on and go, listen, lads, you know what? The world is struggling with this COVID thing. It's a pain in the ass. None of us knew what we were doing. We've all sort of struggled through, but you know, we're better than this. We are better than this. You know, under Churchill, we understood that we've got to come together and we've got to show the world. We are the example. We ran an empire for hundreds of years. We've got to show the world that this is the way. So let's get on board and let's all just get this vaccination thing done. We can put our problems to the side. We put our differences to the side and let's just lead the way. Suddenly British are signing up going, yes, let's do that. Let's do that. Okay. So how would you apply that to the American freedom model? Oh, perfect. I mean, This is the problem with the American one is the right, not the traditional right, but the far right and the conspiracists did exactly that. They stole the source code. They said, taking away our freedom. The whole thing around the mandate is they're taking away our freedom. The American government at that time, when the vaccines were coming out, they should have said, listen, we're Americans. We're supposed to be free. We're not supposed to be locked down. This is not who we are. We are the Wild West. We are the Jeeps. We are the free people. And we'll never be free locked in our houses and fearful of who's going to give us this thing. Let's just get free again. Let's open the marketplace. Let's get free again. Let's just all go get vaccinated and get this thing out of the way. Not you should, not you have to, but let's appeal to freedom and Americans would jump on board. But no, you're going to take our freedom away? Screw you. So is there a process that somebody who, again, say they really wanted the world to eat more broccoli and they don't have your experience with this, is there a process they could kind of apply to figure out what the source code would be and how to deploy this system? To get down to it, you know, how we do it is a combination, of course, psychology, social sciences, academia, all those things sort of put together. But you can do a simple test, and that is if you're marketing something to somebody, and by somebody I mean a group, you can only ask a one-word question. So all my research, my surveys are done in one-word questions. We used to do, you know, define it, and we didn't put a limit on it, and went, oh, that's not working, because now we've got paragraphs of shit we have to try and dig through. And then we went, okay, well, let's just make it one short sentence. And it was like 80 characters, still too much. Then we got down to three words, still too much. People are saying what they think you want. But when you give them one word, 
What is broccoli? Disgusting. What is broccoli? Delicious. You start getting down to that one word. You use it on your test market, but you have to be clear. You have to know exactly who it is you're aiming for. If you don't, you're dead in the water because you're going to get a contradiction. So you've got to go, okay, this is exactly who we're going for. If you say, what does a suit mean to a hippie? It means restriction. <laughs> right, 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 right. But are you trying to sell suits to hippies? Yeah, well, good luck with that, right? Yeah, so I want to hear how you work your magic there. You worked your magic on uh, turning broccoli from disgusting to delicious. How would you turn suits to attractive to the hippies? Oh, that's easy. What matters most to hippies? I would say, again, freedom probably, it's counterculture, right? right? It's a counterculture. The counterculture, okay. Counterculture. Yeah. So you have to make the suit a counterculture. So how do you become a counterculture in the suit? That is what I would ask them. So what is the application of that? So I say, our hippies wear suits because we're the inside spies. <laughs> I love this. This is great. I was thinking about your podcast, Curiosity Bites, and you obviously have a deep, deep curiosity, and you are not judgmental in terms of people with different opinions. How do you think that's informed this ability you have? I mean, do you think one came before the other? Yeah, I don't think I exist in the form that I'm in without curiosity. And I'll be clear, I mean, because when you get down to the, the source code of a human, subjectively, individually, you know, when you get down to, well, why is curiosity such a big part of my source code? Because of my environment, because of where I grew up. It was not very stimulating. It was uh, very working class. It was full of addiction, violence, crime. And I was this spiritual, creative artist kid who wrote poetry, you know, Jesus, couldn't have fit in less. And at the same time, I had the intelligence to look around me. I can clearly remember looking around me at being about nine or 10 years old, looking at my aunt dating the same man with a new face. Then she's like, oh, it's the best thing to slice bread. And I'm like, are you Meshuggah? I'm like, this man is an asshole. I can see it. I'm nine. And I know he's going to end up beating the snot out of you, which he would do. And I would see this happen over and over. And I'd see these things that I started to recognize patterns. And I became curious about human patterns. That for me was where it all started. Then it led me into all those areas that, as you, you and I talked about before, that are so fascinating to me. It led me into psychology. It led me into politics. It led me into history. But it also led me into quantum physics and metaphysical studies and a whole array of other stuff. And for me, everything sort of comes back to, you know, we live in this world of niche where everybody's got to have a niche. I understand that and I get it. But I think you're going to be best in your niche if you're multidisciplinary. If you've not sprawled out into different areas and you can bring the knowledge because I don't believe any knowledge is lost. If you bring the knowledge from all those different things you've studied in a multidisciplinary way, you come to your niche with so much more depth as opposed to somebody who read five books on the subject. You know, so in my business, I've done everything from, you know, shooting on snow for ESPN to directing commercials for Vermont Lottery to editing documentaries. To an outsider, those feel like, oh, they're all in the film business. But to anybody in the film business, normally the same person is not doing all those things. And then going into podcasting and going into paid social media and organic social media, all those things. And so I think that that gives me a very sort of deep and rich understanding 
of messaging and conveying messages. But the world doesn't always see it that way. The world wants a clearly defined expert. Yeah, like I said, I understand the desire for niche, and it's okay to have the niche. But I'm talking about before that is the need that you have developed, that I have, you know, it's just who I am, is these multidisciplinary bringing it to it. So I can talk about that subject from this place. So, for instance, when I go in and do work with a company and they're working on something, I'll say, hold on a second. And they go, what? I go, how many of you here are soccer fans? And they go, none of us. Great. Let's talk about it from the place of soccer. And they go, but we don't know anything about soccer. Great. That's why I want to talk about it. I want to get over your bias. I want to help you to destroy and breach your own bias. So what is soccer? And they'll start talking about it. Well, I don't know. And now we start to pull things out. Like, well, what did you learn in baseball that might apply to soccer? And now, it, oh, well, it might be this. Okay, well, if you applied that to this problem, how would that work? Oh, my God, I never thought about that. Multidisciplinary knowledge brought to a single subject. And I find that that works every time. The problem is we're in our own way because we have our own bias. And the problem with our bias is it's blind. We don't see it. So why do you think you are so driven to dissolve bias? Uh, <laughs> why am I so driven to dissolve bias? As you know, I spoke at the UN with a guy I worked with privately who was the lead recruiter for the neo-Nazis in Canada. And we spoke at the UN together. He very generously credits me with de-radicalizing him. When I was asked at the UN, how could you possibly help him? He's a guy who wanted to wipe Jewish people off the planet. And, you know, my name gives it away that I was born Jewish. And I said, because you would have seen a neo-Nazi. And, and they said, isn't that what he was? And I said, no. And they said, oh, I thought that's what he was. No, that's what he was, but it's not who he was. And they go, well, what did you see? And I said, I saw myself. This lady who was interviewing us was actually from CNN, and she was a Muslim lady, and she said, you were a neo-Nazi? And I said, no, no, no. And she said, well, what then? And I said, what I saw was a highly articulate, highly intelligent young man who didn't feel like he belonged anywhere. The neo-Nazi movement just gave him that place. I can relate to that. I remember being that boy. I remember facing the bias of being Jewish and getting my ass kicked every weekend or going to a non-Jewish school and getting persecuted or then going to the Jewish school as I got a little bit older and being called a yuck because I didn't look Jewish. So for me, I was always greatly aware of biases that were going on and the other thing that fed it to me was that I grew up in Northern England. I didn't speak the way I speak now. You know, I've lived in many different countries. I've been away from the UK for more than 40 years. But when I lived there, this is how I spoke. I said, you know, I come from Manchester, ride on a bus and wear an hat to remind us God's above us. You speak at 40,000 miles an hour. You cut the beginning and the end of every word off and it all gets glued together. And what that tells people in the South is you're from a different class. There's instant judgment on your class. Those biases were everywhere for me. They were there in my own environment because I was an artist and I was creative and I was spiritual. I was a Jew. I was from North. It was piled on and it stops us from seeing people. It stops us from seeing who they are. And then one of the great awakenings for me was I was out with my mates years and years ago. I was in my early 20s. And we were out in this club, and my mate said, oh, that girl's so hot. And I was like, what? We were both single. And I go, which one? And he goes, don't look now. She's behind you. 
There's three girls together. She's so hot. I'm like, okay. So, you know, I wait my time and I turn around and look at her and I'm like, okay, which one? He goes, the one in red. And I go, the one with the really big nose? And he goes, yeah, I find big noses really sexy. And I went, really? And he went, yeah. So I never thought about that. The next two girls I dated had big noses. <laughs> but it was really interesting because he collapsed my bias around what I held as beautiful. By him being genuinely finding that attractive made me question, why isn't it? That's ridiculous. That's a stupid thing. And so that was the one that made me go, oh, okay, this is nonsense. All my biases are nonsense. And so we've all seen the right commercial with the, you know, the four skeletons lined up and says black, white, Asian, gay. They all look the same. But it's not that. It's like you've got to get past it yourself. And the only way to do it is to say, well, what might be my bias here? Oh, broccoli, disgusting. That's a bias. Vaccines, bad. Vaccines, good. Those are biased. Both of them are biased. But what is it to you? What does it matter to you? And the question you want to always be asking is, what is the meaning of this to me? Not what do I think it should mean, but what does it really mean? What does sex mean to you? What does marriage mean to you? What does love really mean to you? What does loyalty really mean to you? What does truth really mean to you? What does kindness mean to you? Real kindness. What is it to see somebody in their soul, to look in them in their eyes and say, I don't see you, the body, or even the personality, but I'm willing to see you, the soul. Like letting yourself get past the bias, that takes practice, but it is probably the most beautiful experience you'll ever have because judgment is easy. Judgment is always easy. But choosing to go to a deeper meaning, that takes a bit of effort, but it's always worth it. I think there is huge power and value to having lived part of your life as an outsider. I think it gives you a shortcut to seeing through a lot of the bias, or at least seeing that you need to see through a lot of assumptions and biases. And I think it can be really valuable. I agree with you. So having heard that super powerful message... I know that you have a podcast called Curiosity Bites because of your deep curiosity. You also have a leadership podcast, which is very popular in the Fortune 500 crowd, which is called Leadership and Loyalty. But is there anything else you would like the Grounded Content listeners to know? Before I even say anything about me, I want to say to you, dear listener, that, you know, I know what it takes to put on a podcast. I know the time, the energy, the effort, and, you know, we're not getting big fat checks. We're not Joe Rogan. So, you know, what it takes from you is this. Please don't hoard. Don't hoard the information. If you find Marion's podcast, if you find the Grounded Content Podcast valuable, get out there and share it. Share it with somebody else. Go online, write a review, share it with other people, subscribe to it. If you've enjoyed this one with me, then you can write to me. Guess what? I'm insane. I'm going to give you my email, dov.com at dovbaron, D-O-V-B-A-R-O-N.com, and tell me what you got out of this. And moreover, tell Marion. Let her know she's on the other side of this. It's this stupid one-way system 
Well, we actually need to know that you actually got value out of this. So write to her, subscribe to the show, write to me, tell us what you got. And more importantly, not only what you got, but what you're going to do with it. How are you going to apply it to make the lives of those that you love and care about and that you serve better? That is really important. Now on to me, you can find me on YouTube. I've got a channel with about a million videos on it. My publication is on Medium. It's called The Curious Leader. You'll find a lot of my articles are on there. So YouTube there, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the usual places. Just look up Dove Baron. There's only one. And if you Google me, you will never get through all the pages. <laughs> There's lots of books too on Amazon. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate your time. And thank you, Dove, for this incredible interview and for the plug at the end. He's right. I love to hear from you and I love your support. So subscribe, follow, whatever the podcast app tells you to do, and tell a few friends about this show who you think could benefit from the message. I'll see you next time.